A spiritual awakening is taking place around the globe, and you can be a part of it. For the first time ever in human history, we are truly one world. And now we must face the implications of what that means for our understanding of spirituality, the nature of reality, and one another. As a direct descendant of the founding families of one of today's largest global religions, I was born in the center of a worldwide spiritual crisis. Like my pioneer ancestors, I'm blazing a new trail, embracing a global sense of spirituality based on personal practice, spiritual community, and direct experience of the divine. I'm Benjamin William Decker. Welcome to the Modern Spirituality Podcast. Hey, what's up, everyone? It's Ben Decker here, and I'm really excited about this episode because I'm with one of my favorite people, uh, my dear friend, Megan Monahan. Uh, we have a great time. She's super insightful, super funny, and uh, you really get a dose of our uh, very authentic friendship. And um, look, here's the deal. Megan Monahan is a meditation expert and an author. She's passionate about making meditation accessible and relatable, which is one of the areas that um, she and I have in common. Her goal is to infuse a modern-day realness into the all-too-often esoteric landscape of meditation. And for me, I love that idea. I love externalizing the esoteric, popularizing, uh, demystifying the deeper, uh, sometimes simpler truths hidden in esoteric uh, teachings and spiritual understanding. And that's what uh, we go into today. Megan is amazing at that. Uh, since learning to meditate in 2009 with Deepak Chopra and becoming a Chopra certified instructor, Megan has taught thousands to meditate through her platform. She works with uh, brands like Goop, Lululemon, Wix, Sweetgreen, Netflix, and Facebook, and with clients internationally. And she's always bringing her spiritual real talk. Her first book, Don't Hate Meditate, was published in 2019 by 10 Speed Press and features a uh, humble brag endorsement from none other than Deepak Chopra himself. So Megan's amazing. Her book's amazing. And you're going to love this conversation. Please welcome Megan Monahan. Okay, this is incredible. I can't wait to have this conversation. Thank you so much for being here, Megan Monahan. I'm so excited. <laughs> okay, Megan, you're one of my favorite people. Um, I feel like we, we're able to connect and we're able to understand each other and we're able to find humor and depth, almost like within the same breath. Yeah. So I'm really I'm happy excited. to just like have you here and and, uh, and so one of the meld together, right. And see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there, there's a couple of really interesting things that I'm finding with some of my other guests and some of my other friends. And, and it's true about you also, where we have in common, a, a career transformation, you know, a lot of times in spirituality, we talk about the personal transformation where something changes and then life changes. And for us, part of that transformation happened professionally. And you and I both had uh, some time in the entertainment industry on the mm -hmm. executive side and then had a personal transformation into this yeah. kind of work. So I'd love to yeah. hear a little bit about what that was like for you. Yeah, you know, I, I meet a lot of people that do something similar to what you and I do in the same wheelhouse, let's just say. And, and I think it's so interesting because so many of us will say, Oh, I used to work in music. I used to work in TV. I used to work in PR. I used to work in. And I, and I think about that sometimes because it's not basically not like a natural next step. It's not a natural pivot. It's a pretty dramatic one. And I think that what for me is really clear is that there are certain things embedded in the culture of certain industries that are really attractive to people that have like undigested trauma or, or <laughs> undigested emotion around something, you know, it's really right. easy. Um, you know, I'm like such a recovering codependent and I'm not always great with boundaries and like, guess what industry does really well with people that don't have great boundaries right? The fast paced, right. like super urgent, like everything is DEFCON one, oftentimes, you know, mm -hmm. energy that comes with entertainment. Um, so I think, I think I have to own that 
I was attracted to certain parts of that world, you know, um, a lot of my, as a, you know, recovering codependent, a lot of my worth was tied to someone else. And so entertainment is a really great place to go. If you want to feel validated by doing a good job or being really productive or having your output be totally tethered to how good you feel about yourself. Right. And so are there all these things that I think are, are just kind of ripe for, um, someone that maybe hasn't gone through that part of their transformation journey yet. So I will happily own that in addition to my very authentic love of music and the fact that I get so much energy from an activation from being involved in that, which I still do. And it's, there's so much magic in all of those industries. There's so much magic in TV and, and, and music and movies and all of that. And that's all very real and something that I still enjoy. And there's also another side of the culture of it that, um, is really attractive if you have those things that you haven't totally gotten a handle around. That's such an interesting angle because I haven't heard of it that way. You know, I had a conversation with um, our mutual friend, Bryant Wood, yeah. and I was talking about, you know, his background and, and we, and we didn't go into that, but it's so interesting, you know, everything you're saying, I know Bryant really well. I've known him for years. I, I know that he would agree with some of that. And I know it's true for me too. You know, me getting into the yeah. entertainment industry had a lot to do with, you know, I, I was a great candidate for entertainment. Yeah. Why? Terrible boundaries. Yeah. And it's like those things are rewarded. It's not right. like, it's not even just an unsaid subtle thing, those things that you really need to like work on within yourself at some point, if you want to not be in this loop of, you know, dysfunction your whole life, those qualities that are annoying at best and just excruciating at, at worst to process and navigate those things are rewarded in a lot of mm -hmm. different other areas of life and, and certain other industries. So you don't have to, you're not pushed to do any work, right. which is fantastic. <laughs> and then, yeah, I mean, you, you just feel right at home and you feel like this yeah. is, this is a good fit for me. And then, um, so not only did I have bad boundaries and, and codependency, like you're describing, mm -hmm. which made me an excellent publicist yeah. receiving phone right. calls in the middle of the night, meeting my <laughs> client to, uh, reward me with their praise and appreciation and fancy right. dinners and all that. Um, I, I also noticed that the way that you were describing that is that attracted us in. And it's also so interesting because that the healing of that, the therapization of that, the addressing of that is also a huge part of what took us right through that revolving door, right out of the industry. Yeah. 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 Well, it just becomes this ever present mirror. And once you have a pain point, you know, for me, it, for me, it had much more to do with my relationship with my dad than it did something happening in my workplace. But if that wasn't the case, I'm sure if I had kept working in there, that that would have become enough of a source that I would have been like, Ooh, I can't, I can't do this anymore. You know, right. this isn't my body can't do this anymore. My mind or my heart, whatever layer of you is experiencing enough of that, like friction, you know, it's this ever present mirror. And I think once you, once you start doing work around it, um, it becomes really hard to consciously continue to walk in and look at that mirror every day. Cause it's no longer what you can, um, you know, kind of unconsciously subscribe to. Um, right. so there's kind of and no choice at a certain point, but to, but to leave because that a lot of those industries require that of you, unless you're at like a high enough level where you can kind of govern the culture of like your team or your business, but mm -hmm. I did not own a company at the time. So <laughs> as an executive assistant, <laughs> I yeah. really didn't have much agency over affecting change, you know? Um, and so well, you know, for me, really obvious. I did start my own company and I did control the culture and I, I didn't have the power or tools or skill set to do it in a healthy way. Yeah. All I did was reproduce myself, all the dysfunctional things that that had gotten me all that success. I trained people. I was like, no, <laughs> when I call you at three in the morning, you answer. Okay. Your boundaries are too good. Let me tell you about tethering your self-worth to someone else. I'm going to tell you about <laughs> what it means to work for Ben Decker. Okay. <laughs> what it means is there's one of us here now. 
Okay. And now I use that same phrase. There's one of us here now in a different way, you know, like in a, in a, in a, a way to cultivate compassion and awareness of the, of the experience of the other person rather than a total like slave codependent right, consciousness. Right. Um, and, but what I, what I would love to know about is like, what were the, what were the tools and things? Because now you're, you're a meditation teacher. You teach at all of the top studios. You're uh, uh, an ambassador for Lululemon and you have all these different like major brand partnerships. You teach for major corporations and public figures, and you've got a best-selling book. Don't hate meditate uh, endorsed by none other than, you know, the, the king of the meditation industry, Deepak Chopra. And so you are, you're blowing up your, everyone, everyone's familiar with your work. You're highly respected. And, um, and that didn't come out of nowhere. You didn't go from being an ex- executive assistant in the entertainment industry to being like a best-selling meditation author. You, you went on a healing journey and became a meditation teacher, taught mm. thousands of people, and then started to, uh, you know, be able to write this book and yeah. create this new kind of content and teach people in all these new ways. So, so what was that pivot like from from the unhealthy environment, what was that like realization and transition like for you? You know, I think for me, it's, this is like so cheesy, but I think it's the, I think it's the moment that you start to feel the fuel that comes when you access your purpose and that effortless, you know, that effortless force that is holding space for your existence and that is crazy powerful and crazy supportive and and if you can surrender into that allows you to make choices that look on paper just batshit crazy and like take these leaps of faith that you maybe wouldn't have if you didn't have access to this like invisible cloak that was helping you fly and and so for me you know i don't think i had ever really experienced that sense of purpose in my, really in my life. You know, Mm -hmm. I can say that maybe without realizing it, when I would sing, there was a little bit of something where I realized that my voice was having an impact on people and not Mm -hmm. just in a like, oh, you have a nice voice, you know? Um, And so maybe that, but I didn't realize that. But the moment that I started learning about meditation and learning about Ayurveda and understanding these different layers of who I am and how to navigate them and, and all of that. It was as if I was, if it was, it was as if I was hearing things that I already knew, but just hadn't remembered yet, you know, and I would hear something in Sanskrit and then be able to talk about it without, without really having learned enough to be able to talk about it. And, and it's not to say that I'm like some crazy prodigy or anything, but but like maybe I'm a crazy prodigy and they're like, no, big no, no, but it's just, I Confirmed. think when you, when you, as start a fellow to- crazy prodigy, I just have to like stop you right there. Confirmed. Um, yeah. Confirmed. But also you, you know, so there is like that entire there is reality that like sense. Yeah. And, and if you follow natural. that, mm-hmm. it's um, yeah. If you, if you, if you have access to that at some point and then you are brave enough, trusting enough, stupid enough to follow it, like pick your, take your adjective, then <laughs> I think it's impossible not to find yourself being totally guided. You know, it's like, right. it's like getting onto the lazy river inst- at the hotel, instead of like the one where you have to surf those terrible waves where you fall every time. Right, right, right. Well, okay. So the thing, I think that this is something interesting. We hear, we hear about it a lot. I have, um, I've written about it in in my book, Modern Spirituality, Finding Your Purpose, you know, the, this is a really interesting topic because, you know, I think that some of the people listening to this are saying, that's nice that you're a child prodigy. Meanwhile, um, I'm over here. I've got my life. I've got, I've got my specific circumstances, my specific challenges, I'm in a place right now where I don't know what to do. And, and so there was a, 
it's it's not like the lazy river came and knocked you off your feet and swept you in. Mm-mm. You know, you had to kind of like find it and tune yeah. into it, you know, and, and, and finding it, you know, the access point to finding it for me and for, you know, a lot of people that I know and work with and have seen is, you know, moving into where there's pain. It's moving into where it's dark and not illuminated and saying, Oh, like what's here and what is existing within me physically, mentally, emotionally, that is residue that is causing me to not know who I am. Right. And you know. so that's such a bummer, by the way, it's yeah, whenever, it's so whenever... annoying. it's like, not, a, <laughs> it's like, none of this work is fun, you know, which is why, which is why it takes oftentimes having a source of discomfort or dis-ease to fight. Like, what's that? What's that really cliche line? Like you have to get, you have to get sick and tired of being sick and tired or <laughs> the pain, the pain it takes to change has to be or the, the pain it's the, the pain that it takes to stay the same has to be greater than the pain it takes to change. Right. There are all right. these like sayings about how like doing this work is awful and hard and right. not always fun. And unfortunately, like that's, that's where the source is. So yeah, that's like where the, where the rubber meets the road. You know, I, yeah. I, one of the other like kind of cliche concepts, but so helpful, like all those concepts that you just kind of glossed over. Yeah. Um, that's helpful. You have to be sick and tired of being sick and tired. Like let it land. We've all heard it a thousand times. Let this be the first time you've heard it. Let it land. Um, And same with uh, the pain that, that you experience to stay the same. It's got to be worse than the the pain it takes to change, Mm -hmm. you know, let it land. And the the other one that's coming up with this uh, that we can just like drop in this recipe right here is choose your heart. It's hard to be unhealthy and, and overweight and not feeling good about yourself and, and be sedentary. It's hard. Yeah. And it's also hard to go to the gym and, and change your nutrition and, Mm -hmm. um, and change your, your lifestyle, choose your heart, which heart do you want? It's hard to be single. It's hard to be single and, and not have someone there to like be with you and, in, in quiet in between moments or in important moments. And it's also hard to be in a relationship. Mm-hmm. Choose your heart. Choose your heart. Yeah. I love you know? that. Yeah. Embrace the effort. Right. Cause it's, it's unless you are asleep and on autopilot, in which case you're probably not listening to this podcast, you know, <laughs> unless you're on autopilot, there's, there's energy and effort. Right. In anything. And so, and so that's another really interesting thing where we often hear about, the path of least resistance and, um, you know, let it be effortless, manifest this in an effortless way. And it's like that I, I, I want to, I want to just like invite all of these listeners to, to open our minds to the paradox. Mm -hmm. Yes. Allow there to be that lazy river of there being a certain sense of effortlessness Mm -hmm. in some ways but also to get to that place actually actually does take effort to stop well, the momentum of the dysfunctional behaviors yeah, and patterns. Yeah. And I think too, you know, I'm glad you're talking about this because it it is so I think misunderstood that concept of like path of least resistance. And, you know, I can say so honestly and, and humbly that the most impressive things on my life resume took very little um architecting. Is that a word? Architecting? Mm, mm-hmm. um, architectural development. Yeah. Yeah. It took, it didn't take mm. a lot of arch- spiritual architectural development on my part. It didn't take <laughs> me, it didn't take me forcing it or putting the pieces in play or right. strategically like pulling strings, but it took a crazy amount of effort within my like mind and mm. my heart. Like it took insane amounts of like trust and consistency and surrender and detachment and right. So it's effortless in that you don't have to know, like your mind doesn't have to know what's best. Your mind doesn't have to know what the next step is. Your mind doesn't need to know what all of the the turns are along the way. 
That's where it's effortless. That's where the lazy river is like, oh no, like I'm ways. Like I've got you and like, I'll reroute you if there's a, a stopped car and you don't have to worry about that. And I know that left seems scary because you have to cross like 18 lanes of traffic, but like, I promise you it's here and you can do it. And that's where it's effortless. It's effortless mm-hmm. in that you don't need to know all the details, right. but insanely effortful and more so than any other kind of physical, tangible effort in that you mm-hmm. have to be aligned so in like so unwaveringly within your within your mind, your mindset, you know, yeah, in your heart. You know, it's making me think about this this idea in AA where it's one day at a time, you know. And in Buddhism, you know, when I was at the Deer Park Monastery, Thich Nhat Hanh's monastery, some, something that was introduced to my consciousness there, which I've heard a million times since then. You're going to be familiar with this. A lot of listeners have already heard this. But chop wood, carry water. Yeah. Chop the wood, carry yeah. the water. What do I need yeah. to do? Well, you need to chop the wood yeah. and then you need to carry the water. And, you know, it's like something my dad said. It's so interesting. I got a Facebook memory that came up and it was like two years ago, something my dad said to me, things were really weird two years ago about this time. And I called my dad and I said, something's changing. Something's weird. I don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. And it's funny. The first Sunday of 2020, I predicted global catastrophe. I'm on video giving a sermon, literally saying the whole world's about to go through a decade of initiation. And everyone's like, like you what? did this. <laughs> everyone's like, what the hell did you know? You know? And, um, and the truth is I just had like a, uh, I had an insight just from watching and experiencing what was already happening. But two years ago, my dad said to me, uh, I was at a loss. I didn't know what to do. And I was trying to like rebuild my life. And I, I, I didn't know if I wanted to come out with another book, which of course I did. And I didn't know if I wanted to live here or there, or, you know, I, I had no clue what to do with my yeah. life. You didn't and, know. Uh, I didn't you know. Didn't I didn't know. see it. And because I had, experiences in the past of being so connected to my purpose, like my book deal, my first book deal came in and that book like just like manifested and then it like sold 40,000 copies and it was like translated in all these languages. And I was like, I didn't even do that. I like, didn't even do it. It like just happened. Yeah. Um, But I was in a moment where I was chopping wood and carrying water. And what my dad said to me was just do what you need to do. And you already know what you need to do. He said, what do you have to do? And I said, I, I have a sink full of dirty dishes. I've got tons of dirty laundry. I haven't worked out in a month, you know? And he was like, he was like, do the dishes, do your laundry, go to the gym. Yeah. Yeah. And he said, do what you need to do. And God will drop miracles in your lap. And it's like, sometimes, sometimes you just have to chop the wood and carry the water. Sometimes you have to do the dishes. Yeah. Yeah. There, you know, I always, one of my, one of the prompts that I use with myself is what is my desire require of me, you know? Right. And, and that desire might be, I want to write another book or sign another book deal or be in a relationship or buy a car. Like it might be a very material thing. It might be, I really want to like feel safe. I want to be like in a greater state of compassion. I want to, you know, whatever it is internal or external, it requires something of you. It requires you Mm -hmm. to think a certain way. It requires you to speak a certain way and for sure act a certain way. And the more that all three of those can be aligned with, to your point, you know, what you want and your willingness to just show up in, in whatever way you can, Mm -hmm. the more, the more that that then co-creates that lazy river experience. Yeah, absolutely. It's like the, um, the reality of who I have to become mm-hmm. in order for that yeah. timeline to actually materialize, to actually yeah. have it make sense. The universe likes things that make sense yeah. as much and, as yeah, so to many. Your point, like, who does that, who does that desire require me to be? Right. You know? Right. Yeah. And we mm-hmm. interrupt you. Go ahead, love. No, I mean, I'm just saying that the universe likes things that make sense. This is a, this is a universe of order. There are, there are, it's, it goes like this conception, gestation, birth, you know, there's a process, there's an entire process. 
And, um, and when we look at like, for example, like the lunar cycle or the menstrual cycle, there's like, there's like a process where opportunities, it's like ovulation occurs and there's an opportunity there. And if you miss that opportunity, there is another one. Yeah. And, you know, and once it takes, once that fertilization takes, then, then there's a new, a new problem, (laughs) you know, a new, a new thing that must happen. You know, it's like, once you, it's like mo, mo money, mo problems. It's like, as (laughs) soon as you get what you're asking for, you then have to be a good steward of that, which you have. Mm -hmm. You know, it's so interesting too. Like we don't, it's so funny. We don't, as you were saying that you were talking about, like there's a gestation, but there's a process and things have to grow and, and move through something, even if it's mm-hmm. five minutes of something like, and, and I, I just had this thought that we're totally fine. Not knowing we're totally fine. Not knowing so much. We're mm-hmm. fine. Not knowing like how actually like pregnancy works. And yes, like we know how pregnancy works, but like you and I don't really know how like, we don't know what's happening in every moment and we don't know what the cells right. are doing. And in a broad sense, we do, because we, took right. there's, a, there's a, there's an enormous amount of trust. There's an enormous that we, you know, we don't know what happens when we, how something gets made that we order. And we're not like tripping about that. We're not tripping over the details of like, how's that thing getting made and how's it getting to me? And like, what's the temperature in that car? That's. And so it's just so, it's so fascinating how comfortable we are not knowing so much and the details. And, and I think about when I order something, like when I order something on like the evil website that we shall not name on this podcast, (laughs) that takes 14 seconds to get you your thing. I'm not thinking about what temperature is the truck that that's coming in and, and what turn are they making? And are they trying to make that left? And are they going to be, I'm not thinking about any of those details. And yet when it comes to or pregnancy or right. Like any of the things we don't think about the process. And then when it comes to like us and our precious life, every mm-hmm. single detail becomes this thing that we are just like micromanaging and feeling the need to get completely involved with and control and manipulate and the need to know. And it's just, it's not important that, you know, right. And there's so much with other, other people too, like in yeah. relationships, uh, there's like, we mentioned codependency a couple of times. It's like, it took me a while to really stop needing to know everything that someone else was doing. Mm-hmm. And, and by that same token, you know, I'm a child of social media. I had a MySpace when I was 14 years old, I had a live journal about that same age. I have been on the internet ever since. Okay. So 20 yeah. years on the internet, on social yeah. media, more than most human beings. Um, and one of the things that I had to learn was not only do I not need to know everything that other person is thinking and doing, they don't need to know what I'm thinking and doing, mm-hmm. you know? And so it's like, yeah. even in, it's like a relationship too. It's a relationship with God. It's a relationship with the universe and relationships with other people. It's like, it's like actually there is that sense of oneness, all is one and all that. But by that same paradoxical token, we are sovereign. And, and the other person is a full person. And, and even if they want to know what I'm doing, I don't actually have to say what I'm doing right now. I don't have to announce to the whole world that this is what I'm doing. I don't need everyone to know what I had for breakfast, even though it was beautiful and healthy and, and all that. And I also don't need to know every single person that other person is talking to and all that, Mm -hmm. you know, it also, you know, the, the issues never come when we are in that, like one song unity consciousness, right? So it's like, Mm -hmm. when you are in that place, you're not worried or concerned about any of these. Yeah. Enjoy it either, you know? Yeah. Enjoy it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The issue really comes when you lose that again, to your point, when you lose that sovereignty and you, you, again, I keep using this word like tether, um, like word of the day. Oh, I didn't do wordle today. Side note. We're going to have to do that after this. (laughs) Um, but it, it's when you, it's when you tether your sense of self to something else, someone else that all of a sudden, all of those details matter. Mm, 
mm-hmm. you know? Right. And it's, it's just like, uh, you know, we have dreams and we have goals and we have desires. Like you mentioned, what does, what does my desire require of me? Um, it's like sometimes what I like about something that Deepak teaches is those, those soul questions that he asks where, and one of them is what do I want? Yeah. And sometimes what automatically comes up for me around what I want, it's like, wow, like two weeks ago, this, this like fringe desire, like infiltrated my consciousness. And now I care about something that actually I don't care about. Yeah. You know, it's like yeah. I saw that car or someone was talking to me about their new house or I saw that Instagram yeah. video about something and then now that desire has now like implanted itself into my consciousness and by asking myself what do I want? It's like wow, I what do I really want? Yeah. Like do yeah. I want to be on a reality show? Do mm-hmm. I want It's like there are things where we look at people with um, a lot of a lot of fame. Let's say, let's look at specifically like people with fame and fortune, and we so often love to hate them because their lives are so easy and my life is so hard. Yeah, and and it's like first of all, that's not accurate, and secondly, do I want to have to deal with what does my desire require? If I want to be rich and famous, do I want to have to deal with that crap? like, like best wishes to the best (laughs) wishes, you know, literally like, like blessings to those who like have a calling and, and that's the universe that they enter into. You know, when I, when I ran for office, it was so rewarding and so beautiful and in really genuinely a lot of ways. And then there was this entire vortex of vitriol and chaos and, and just like hyper criticism and cyberbullying and violence and attacks that that were coming for no reason. I I hadn't done something wrong. I I just simply was the opponent. Yeah. And I was like, wow, I really thought that I was going to help do something important. I thought, I thought that I could go be like this meaningful part of this whole thing. And, and, and you thought that that material expression of the desire was best. But what I always like humble myself with is like, when there's a material desire, I always, I always ask myself, why do I want this? Because, because you don't you and I like, don't want that new fancy car. We want to feel abundant when we sit down in our car or we want to have the experience of driving really fast or feeling sexy or like we want to, we want to feel something. And I think we get really inappropriately attached to what we think is the best physical manifestation of that desired feeling. Right. And so much of it comes in from outside. It's right. a commercial we saw or, or, right. or something someone said yeah. when I know you have a thought, I just have to interject before we leave the car. I, <laughs> I, my parents bought me a car. They bought you a Lamborghini. Spoiler they, bu- they, <laughs> they bought me a Lamborghini. Some people already know my parents bought me a Lamborghini. No, I'm just kidding. No, my parents bought me a Dodge neon. Okay. They bought me a Dodge neon. And, and I remember, and it was like on the newer side, I don't know if it was brand new, but it was like, it was like basically, I I thought you meant right now. And I'm like, well, I don't, you don't need a car right now. And what's, what even is it? No, I'm in Bali. (laughs) I'm, I'm literally like in Indonesia riding a motorcycle everywhere. Uh, So circa like whatever year, circa like age 16 or something. It was my first car. And, um, my parents got me a Dodge neon and it was, it was on the newer side. And, and I like for all intents and purposes, it was brand new. Yeah. And so many kids, I lived in like this rich little uh, country club community neighborhood kind of thing. And, and we were probably, I don't know, the poorest people at my school <laughs> or whatever in the district, you know? And um, I was thrilled to have a car. Yeah. Okay. 
did I want it to be a Mercedes? Yeah, I would have preferred a Mercedes. Like, of course, like whatever. Yeah, I'm a Libra. I like beautiful things. I would would I have taken the Escalade over it? Yes, <laughs> sure. You know, but I was I was really happy to have that freedom of having my own car, and I was happy that it was red and it did have a spoiler. Spoiler alert! And it was, you know, it was uh, the thing is whenever I did the most simple things, whenever I got that car detailed. Whenever I got the tires rotated, yeah. I got in that car and it was like I was driving a Mercedes. Yeah. Like, have you ever had that where like you're driving 100%. your Prius, you get it detailed and it like yeah. may as well be a Bentley. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cause it's giving you the same feeling right. in that moment. And I think there's so much freedom when we, I tell myself, I tell my ego, my New Yorker ego all the time. Like maybe you don't know what's best, you know, because it's so easy to get caught in this narrative that this is how I want to feel. This is what I want. And like, that's what it looks like in my life. It looks right. just like that. And then we get so attached to that. And then when it doesn't mm-hmm. happen, all of a sudden it's, it's as if it's never going to happen. It's as if we were wrong. You know, all of this comes into play only because we thought we knew it was best. Yeah. We had that attachment to a specific outcome yeah. and, and then it's like an expectation. And when it's, when the, we have an unmet expectation, we have like this hangover. Yeah. And it's I like, I always try to ask myself whenever I, whenever I think I know what's best, whenever I'm like, no, no, I don't know. It's best. It's fine. But low key, I'm like, I know what's best. Like, this is what's best. <laughs> I always, I always really try to bring myself back and say, when I am acknowledging a desire, I'll say like, I ask for this or better. Right. Because, like I'm not in the market of, of getting in the way. Right. Mm-hmm. I might be like, Oh, I'm so expanded. My mind is so expansive and filled with possibilities. And like, I want this. And it's like the most expanded version of the desire. Meanwhile, the universe is like, really? Like you wanted that? Like we were going to give you like this other thing, but like you thought you knew. So here you go. Like, here's the, right. you know, and, and we do that all the time. Totally. And you know, time. it's like, the universe is so much more than the the kinds of clothes that we wear or the fashion or or the um, material desires that we have, you know, especially if you're like on the privilege end of the spectrum where yeah, where these are the things that you're thinking about, you know, they're and where there's what, value placed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, there's something mm-hmm. so beautiful about Bali, where I am right now, I'm in Bali. and and yeah, there are people with Mercedes here. There are, mm-hmm. there are people with like some sick mansions out here. Mm-hmm. And then for some reason, they're like the most miserable looking ones. It's the yeah. strangest thing. Like the, the people who are barefoot sweeping off their front porch are doing it with like this huge toothless grin on their face. Are you saying that money doesn't buy happiness? I hold the phone. Well, to quote Ariana Grande, whoever said money can't solve your problems must not have had enough money to solve. (laughs) So I want to say like, look, money, of course, doesn't like buy happiness. But at the same time, there is like a huge relief that happens when your finances are taken care of. Yeah. And, and I'm experiencing like I'm going from. Money can buy sanity to a certain degree. Right. Right. Especially in a world where you need money to survive. Mm -hmm. Like you need, we have like this financial system. It's a structure that's put in place. Um, Do your own research. Look at, look at history. Foraging is something that was like outlawed in all these different places. And I'm sorry, that's like a major disconnection from nature. We can't even forage for food. It's one thing to regulate hunting. And it's another thing to to completely outlaw foraging, you know, um, there's someone on, on Instagram, I think her username is black forager. And she shares a lot about how, um, how black people were oppressed in the United States post, um, post the prohibition of slavery through things like banning foraging. Yeah. And so she banning and regulating access. Yeah. Right. And charging, right. And, charging for access. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so there, there is like this really strange thing that comes into play where, and I think this is what drew me into politics where it's like, look, if we are printing money and we are saying everything must be 
paid for with money. I'm sorry. When you play Monopoly, you start with some some money. Yeah. When you when you start the game, they mm-hmm. hand you some money to start with. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's like something kind of like kind of like like majorly uncool that yeah. everything's required to pay for and you don't start the game with some cash. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm not talking about an occasional $1400 stimulus. Yeah. I'm talking about like yeah, major people, cash. People should really and- be the sort of passed down knowledge of how to play Monopoly. Right. So it's like you're showing up to the game and like, you know how to play the game and you understand strategy and you understand like, don't build a hotel. If you, if it's not on the spot where it's going to get a lot of traffic and don't build, don't take houses off unless you have. And, and really, if you're going to right, like you have, you have, you were given a copy of the rules. Right. So it's it's not even just like you're given money, like you're given a copy of the rules and you learned how to play. Right. Definitely. And, and when we're in school, it's like, there's so much important stuff that we do learn and so much that we forget. I remember um, just recently I saw someone on Twitter was like, why didn't we ever learn this in school? And someone else (laughs) replied and they said, we did learn that in school, but you you were drawing an eye on the back of your notebook. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and it's it, that was gonna be, but there's still there's still like a lack of real preparation for adulthood. Yeah, you taxes. Know, and, like, why didn't we understand taxes when we were like? Right. Why weren't we taught that in school? Why weren't we taught about how the banking system works? Like, why weren't we taught how? I like, mean, I mean, for me, I was raised on like Boston Tea Party. Yeah. And and protest to like oppressive taxes. And like in the Book of Mormon, you know, we're studying the Book of Mormon. They're like, this king was a real oppressive king, and the taxes were grievous to be borne. And it's, and it's <laughs> like, like um <laughs> and it's like this whole thing about how like taxes like really ruin people's lives. And I'm like, <laughs> is 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 this a good system? <laughs> like, is this the the right strategy yeah. for like uh an eight billion human being global society yeah. uh yeah. just i don't know the answer i'm just kind of yeah, just asking and why are we <laughs> singing this <laughs> yeah, yeah like why are we singing about taxes being uh, <laughs> grievous to be born um that sounds bad right grievous <laughs> to be born means like it the taxes like really like ruined people's lives you know um yeah. And, you know, and then we're looking at, um, you know, like these major, the, the places that government is spending so much money, you know, it's like, this is, this is why a meditation teacher wanted to get into politics. Like, forgive me, everyone that like told me I shouldn't have gotten into it. Like, you're right. It was awful, but it, it felt like really, really important to go through that challenging experience because, because maybe something could have changed and, and who mm-hmm. knows what the future holds. But I, I just remember feeling like, look, I'm not seeing people, I'm not seeing people saying and doing the things that I would do in those situations. And I'm not yeah. seeing people saying and doing the things that I would try to do um, when it comes to policy and when it comes to um, like, I know that universal basic income is like so controversial, but it, it's that basic idea where it's like, we're making the money up out of nowhere. We can mm-hmm. at least let everyone start with some, mm-hmm. you know, and, and um, to like circle back about how we got into this mm-hmm. part of the conversation, you connected with a desire to shine light on a system that you were like, huh, this doesn't feel great or in alignment or fair or like just or right. And, right. and you thought, okay, I'm going to run for office. And that did not come to fruition. You winning, right. sadly. And sadly, sadly, sadly for like, yeah, parts of life. Yeah. For the part of me that wanted it. Yeah, definitely. Right. And maybe that wasn't the best expression of that. Right. Maybe, right. maybe that wasn't maybe, you know, I ask for this or better, like I want to win right. councilman or better. Right. Right. I love, like, I think that's where we get stuck in like, Oh, it didn't happen. So it like, wasn't mm-hmm. meant to be, or mm-hmm. it's not going to work out or that wasn't right for me. Or maybe like that one thing in that one moment wasn't right for you. And you're still connected to why you wanted it. 
clearly, which is, I want to educate people. I want to, mm-hmm. you know, shine a light support. on all these issues, support people, empower people. Mm-hmm. And that can still happen in a mm-hmm. way that, in a way that, you know, could be bigger, could be way right. more impactful, could be way more effective. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what I think is so important about this or better. We're, yeah. we're, we're not saying, uh, you know, I was running for, for councilman. It's, it's not, it's not councilman or better as in councilman or mayor or president. Right. It's like better, this, better. This, this vehicle to share or this vehicle to like express what I want to share with the world mm-hmm. or a better vehicle. Right. Which might be something totally different. Right. And, and that's what I think is so, oops, that's what I think is so important about um, that notion of like this opportunity, this mm-hmm. manifestation, this goal, this desire or better mm-hmm. is like really, really like taking a, the big breath and really having that surrender expression yeah. around the specific outcome so that you can say like, look, I'm actually trusting that something will work out for, for the betterment of the higher vision yeah. of this moment. And that's my like, again, to like circle back times two, that's where you get into <laughs> purpose. And right. when you are being fueled by, you know, purpose, you know, Dharma is, is really like a, a twofold journey. You know, we're here to remember who we are. Mm-hmm. And once we do that to some extent, once we start to embody that remembrance, we are then here to support and share who we are mm-hmm. and, and shared in the ways that like only we can share because of our unique makeup. And when you are being fueled by that, when your desire, especially like when your desires are directly supporting that, and that might be, I can show up as my best self in the world. If I have really healthy food to eat. So I am leaning into that, or right. It can, it can be things that literally fuel you so that you can then show up and be of service. Um, when you are aligned with that and with, with why you want the thing you want. So it's like, why do you want the thing you want? And how is that supporting my purpose? That's like, like three pineapples in a row jackpot. Are there pineapples mm-hmm. in in things totally in like slot machines like totally. probably is right like three pineapples a hundred percent yeah that's then major it's just like the universe is like oh great like you're totally getting out of the way right and, and the, letting the, us do our thing the dynamism of the universe is infinite so everything yeah. will always be in flux there will always be uh, infinite factors processing through infinite cycles. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, it's like, that's part of the Shiva Shakti dance of what it means to be in incarnation, especially, yeah. you know, as a human, it's like your unique circumstances, this moment, none of us are going to ever be perfect. No matter how much everyone on the internet, it thinks that they're perfect and no matter how much you saying the wrong thing is going to get you torn to shreds by all these perfect people, yeah. um, no matter how much the collective ego and the personal ego will pretend that they or someone else is perfect, it's perfect is like a complete illusion. There's, there's always going to be something nuanced at play. And the higher, the higher our uh, expansion of consciousness grows, the higher, the higher our awareness of those nuances and our sensitivity to those nuances will be there. And so you find that some of the most enlightened people, especially the elders, they, mm-hmm. they hold a, a softness, a joy, a levity, as well as a, a depth and even yeah. a heartbreak. Yeah. There's, they've had their hearts broken. You don't, you don't achieve, uh, like ma- spiritual and psychological maturity because you got everything you wanted right, exactly right. the way you wanted it. Because again, and look at us just like really like bringing this back to how we actually started this conversation, <laughs> all of that growth and transformation comes from your pain, comes from your pain points. It comes from where in you are, you know, crevices filled with shadow filled with shame or a lack of self-worth or codependency or 
total scarcity mentality or, you know, pain, whatever it is, like that's where, that's where you find and remember who you are. Cause those are the things that are covering it up. Right. Those are the so, spots on the mirror that are like, Oh, I don't know who I am. Cause like, I can't see half this mirror. And it's like, Oh no. If you start doing that work, right. What's that great. Is it Rumi or Hafiz? Like how will the, how will the mirror get polished? If you are irritated by every rub. It's wow. Rumi, right? so, so it's like, we have to keep polishing the mirror and you know, what's not fun. Like polishing a mirror <laughs> and like <laughs> totally. constantly looking at like the smudges and the residue. Right. Right. And, you know, it's so interesting because right before you said that, I thought of another Rumi quote that resonated with what you were saying. The wound is where the light enters you. Yeah. You know, so so it's like those those challenges, we don't want to look away from them. We don't want to pretend that they're not there. We don't want to be out of touch or aloof to our imperfections. There's a there's a really important Vedic idea about self-realization. It's like our, our imperfections will stand clear for those with eyes to see. Mm. Uh, and are, are we going to cultivate that eye, that eye of discernment? Are we going yeah. to be able to see uh, those character defects? And it's like, what do you really want? The higher you go in the spiritual journey, it's like, I want to not cause harm. Yeah. Okay. I don't actually, sure. If someone gave me a Range Rover, would I drive it? Yes. However, what do I really want? I would love for the world to not be so dependent on fossil fuels. Yeah. You know, it's like, what do I really want? Well, it's not a Range Rover. It's what do a I Range really... Rover hybrid. I know. I get it. <laughs> it's the solar powered electric <laughs> only Range Rover. Right. You know, it's like there's there's so much more than what we think that we want. And how much of yeah. what I want is because... I, I feel like I need other people to tell me that I'm doing a good job or I right. need how other people to tell I, me. Yeah. How much of what I'm valid. How much of what I want is because I don't know who I am, <laughs> you know? Right. Like how much of what I want from you, how much of what I want from the universe, how much of what I want from the store, how much of what I want is because I don't know who the fuck I am. Oof. So annoying, so right? True. Such a so bummer. annoying. <laughs> Such, Such a bummer. A bummer. <laughs> you know, and because it's, and truly, it's... like once you do, the more you do, the less you, um, the less you. It's not that you can't enjoy those things, but the mm -hmm. less those things have as much of a charge. Right, right, and it's like in, you know, in the Eastern traditions, there's a big emphasis on the middle path. This, particularly yeah. in Buddhism, there's yeah. that middle path where where I want to be immune to criticism and praise. Yeah. You know, and it's, yeah. and it's, it's like, we want to, I, I feel like I want to fully experience life. Mm -hmm. And so I don't want to be so immune to praise that I don't experience the joy and the celebration of those moments. And I also simultaneously don't want to be so immune to criticism right. that I'm going around doing obnoxious things, yeah. causing weird harm and generating mm -hmm. like icky karma. Yeah. You know, it's like, I, I do want to experience that, that place of, of immunity, meaning I don't want to be driven by praise mm -hmm. or by criticism but I don't want to be ignorant to it. Yeah. I think for me, it's like where, how much of a ripple does it create in me? Like, mm. I don't want the good, the good or the bad to be a tidal wave. I don't, you know, and that's, and, you know, Deepak does talk a lot about this, how when you start meditating, um, you know, the highs aren't as high and the lows aren't as low. So mm -hmm. it's, it's when someone loves you and loves what you're doing and loves whatever this expression of you is, does it feel like a tidal wave? Does it feel like a, Oh my God, like that's amazing. And like, I feel so good about myself. And when someone doesn't like it, it, does it feel like a tidal wave where you're like, God, I'm so worthless and I'm awful. And how could I have thought that that was a good idea? You know, I really like to think of it as like, how big is the ripple? So when someone's mm -hmm. like, I love you, Megan, I think you're brilliant. I'm like, thank you. And I will happily receive that. And, and it's a ripple and it's a little baby ripple, but it doesn't take a year to kind of fizzle out 
and go back into right. the water, you know, and when someone's like, I don't like you, which happens surprisingly, I know. Um, <laughs> I had someone tell me after a meditation class, I had someone come up to me and say, um, you talk too much. You should really just talk less. I thought, I said, great. Like, thank you so much for your <laughs> feedback. I said, you know, there are lots of teachers at the studio that, um, that, you know, maybe would be a better fit. Like, thanks for coming. And, you know, and of course right. I'm not like, oh, that's awesome. You hated me and hated everything that I've put, you know, 15 years into right. working on, but it, it was a little ripple. Mm -hmm. It didn't take that. It doesn't take that long. Right. It doesn't, it doesn't rock the boat too much. Right. It's not like There's five years later, you're, you're right. bringing it up on a podcast. On a podcast. It's not like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, of course these things like affect us, you know, but there's, um, there's the reality that like in an alternate dimension that could hurt us in such a way that we stop teaching. Right. Right. You know, where it really and, like rocks the boat instead of just being right. like, Oh, like, Oh, that was not fun. Okay. I didn't yeah. love that one. You yeah. know? Yeah. Uh, Totally, totally. Okay, so I want to take the last couple of minutes of the this episode. First of all, I love your perspective on things. I I have an open invitation. Would love for you to come back. Oh my god, all the um, time. And so I want to I want to take these last couple of minutes and just introduce the listeners to your book. Don't hate meditate. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So tell us about it. I wrote a book. I don't know if I have a copy near me because I'm terrible at the PR game. Unlike you, um, I wrote a book called don't hate meditate. And I really wanted to create a resource for people that kind of bridged what I so often saw, which was books about like how to meditate and why to meditate and that conversation. And mm -hmm books about, you know, super, super esoteric spiritual teachings and, mm -hmm. and create something that felt accessible, you know, create mm -hmm. a conversation that, that anchored you into like really deep wisdom, timeless teachings, but in a way where you could see that and how it might show up in your actual life and how it mm -hmm. might show up when you're having a fight with your partner or when you're running late and getting right. So finding that place where, you have access to what has changed my life in a way that is relatable and digestible and like, dare we say, entertaining to like read about and learn about. Um, and by the and way, also, it's really and then beautiful. also teach you how to meditate. Oh my gosh. Yeah. She's so pretty. She's it's like such a pretty yeah, she's, book. She's it's so a beautiful cute. hardcover, great gift, gorgeous. Thanks. Every page is like beautiful. It's like the it's like every single page is illustrated and it's like this beautiful She's real like, Instagrammable. Yeah. Yeah. Majorly Instagrammable. <laughs> gorgeous book. And like, like maybe jealous. transformational. Like buy it for the Instagrammable moment. Stay for the transformation. Yeah. I mean, I'm I as an author of four books, I'm totally jealous of how beautiful <laughs> your book is. The 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 physical beauty of all four of my books, like combined, doesn't even oh like, God, anywhere stop. near anywhere near yours, but, but tell us like, how, how is it structured? Is it like broken down into sections or? It sure is Ben. Thanks for asking. <laughs> um, yeah, it's broken up. So the first part really just talks about kind of like the basics and how to meditate, why to meditate goes through like the benefits and the practice that I teach you in the book. And then the rest of the book is broken down into these five sort of spiritual mindsets that I mm -hmm. kind of identified were really the biggest pillars for what changed my life, which are the mindsets of presence, acceptance, intention, non-judgment, and trust. And so each one of those sections has practical like exercises and tools and meditations and anecdotes and um, teachings all throughout. So it's really kind of like a 360 degree um, experience of those, of those mindsets and how to, how to more um, authentically embody them within yourself and act from a place in your life with those in mind. I love that. Okay, great. So uh, don't hate meditate available everywhere. Books are sold. Yeah. I, I have to ask something and I don't know the answer to it. Is it available on audio audiobook? Yeah. I read the audiobook. You Obviously. narrated your own audio. Obviously. Why wouldn't wow. I? Wow. Well, yeah. and I do all the meditations. So there's like nice. so many meditations that are written out, but at the end of the audio version, they're all narrated. Amazing. I mean, again, once again, Gently jealous. <laughs> Once again, jealous. I narrated one of the four audiobooks you that didn't I did. You do all of yours? 
No, a British guy did one of them too. Oh, that's like, kind of nice. It is kind of nice. Kind of a it's, vibe. It's kind of strange to hear him talk about like my mom and my family and all that. It's like this other person's my voice. mom, comma. You're like, no, it's yeah. mom, and her name's it's like, Karma. <laughs> I know it's like so interesting. I was like, wow, but it for some reason I just sound more credible British. Yeah, you know, <laughs> maybe I should be. Maybe I should be like an elder. No, no, British no, man. you. You've got a beautiful voice and, um, okay, cool. So don't hate meditate. It's also available in audiobook and you, you have a ton of resources. So everyone check out Megan on Instagram. Yeah. Uh, on Instagram. There's meditations up at meditate with Megan also M E G A N meditate with Megan. There's a 21 day guided meditation series that you can do like at your own pace, but every day you get an email with meditation. So if you're looking for a little bit of, um, healthy, spiritual peer pressure, go there and check that out. Love yeah, that. I just want to Love help that. the world meditate, you know? Love that. Okay. Well, I am so happy we did this. I feel like it flew by. Let's do it again very soon. Can't Thanks wait to do it every Tuesday, Thursday, Sunday. No, just Love that. I'm sure. open. I'm open. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We'll see you again. Thanks, Megan. I love you. Love you too. Hey, it's Ben Decker. And I just have to thank you again for listening to the Modern Spirituality Podcast. For information on anything mentioned here, you can check out the show notes below. You can also get in touch with me via twitter.com slash Ben Decker, Instagram.com slash Benjamin W. Decker, or email me at Ben Decker at Modern Spirituality Podcast.com. It really does mean so much to me that you're here with me on the Modern Spirituality Journey. I'm genuinely super excited about what I've got planned for these next few episodes. So really make sure to subscribe to the Modern Spirituality Podcast so you can get in on what I've got coming up. And if this is resonating for you, if anything here helped or inspired or entertained you at all, please, please do rate this podcast and leave me a review. It means so much more than you might realize. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you, thank you, thank you, and thank you again.